Holy Spirit, speak again through your word as you have for countless generations. And continually point us to where our true hope is found in our Savior Jesus. In his name, amen. When my wife Amy and I were first married, we lived in St. Louis, Missouri. Some of you know that because that's where I went to seminary. And so our first uh, years, got married, graduated college, got married, and moved there that summer. And then you're more or less assigned to be a part of a church throughout your uh, seminary experience. And we were assigned to be a part of a church that was the first African-American Lutheran church west of the Mississippi. So very uh, long-storied history. And after a number of Sundays, I can't remember how, how many we've been there, we noticed sitting near us, and it wasn't that big of a church, maybe 85 to 100 people uh, in, in the city, north, north side city of St. Louis, and uh, we noticed this weird guy sitting there, and, and he stuck out. Now, it's weird for me to think that in, in one sense, because being an African-American Lutheran church, my wife and I were the only white people there, so... We stuck out. But this guy was weird. He stuck out. How? He wore a really bright outfit every time or some sort of strange, uh, really looked like a, a tunic. And he, it looked like he went to Joanne Fabric, bought something, cut a head hole, and, and put it on, and then, like, just got a rope and tied it on his waist. And I say it looked like he did because I'm pretty sure that's what he did. And in addition, he had these, like, wild-colored beads and different beads every week and looked just kind of wild and, and weird. And, and I remember at first, before I knew him, thinking, who, who is this weird guy? I, in a good way. Well, little did I know when I first had that thought that this weird guy was an absolute saint. I would come to find out later and then get to know him over the years that this man grew up as a Lutheran in Alabama, and then was also involved in civil rights movement and actually marched with Martin Luther King Jr. and was actually there in Memphis when he died. And then in the wake of that, ended up in St. Louis with very poor with his wife and young kids at the time, and planted himself at, at a very poor, destitute corner in North St. Louis, probably one of the hardest, most challenging areas, and he stayed there. He didn't have much, but if he had any bit more than he needed, he gave it away. And I knew him late in his life. He died six, seven years ago, and his entire life, he didn't have much, but what he did have, he shared. And he was deaf. Everybody that knew him thought, first thought was, man, he's a weird guy. And he absolutely reminds me of Jesus. He turned an abandoned lot next to his house on a busy road where derelict houses had fallen into a, a haven for needy people. And what for many years was just a, a two-by-four table had food and clothing and diapers. And people would drop it off and people would come, some in the night because they were too ashamed to ask in the day. And... He ended up being one of the strangest people I've ever known, but also one of the most Jesus-like people I've ever known. And he had many, many, many children and then named them all after himself. Again, weird guy. 
but his name was Otis, and weird things that I didn't even know, of, I didn't know all this from, from actually talking to him, it was other people. We, we, uh, somebody else, somewhere else in life had mentioned this uh, strange guy with the same, uh, same description, uh, and I'm like, ah, oh, that seems like a guy at our church that, you know, we sit next to and stuff. And they started telling me all of these things that I just told you. And I thought, how come he never told me those things? It's because he followed Jesus and served those around him. So I can tell you without a doubt, not that I keep a list of weirdest people I've ever met, but I do. Uh, and in the top, top few, top three, Otis is probably one of the weirdest in a good way people that I've ever met. But also one of the most Jesus-like people that I've ever met and I don't think that's a coincidence. And he never said it, but if he had a motto, or I have a motto I think of when I think of Otis, it would be this. Be weird, follow Jesus. Be weird, follow Jesus. Have you ever thought, though, that following Jesus will make you weird? You ever thought about that? A friend of mine had been a missionary in China for a while, and when he came back, one of his first reactions to American culture was, he said, I can't believe how much Americans will do anything not to stick out. Like they, he said, they think they're uh, taking a stand or doing something that makes them stick out, but they'll do anything not to stick out. I thought, huh, that's interesting. Have you ever thought that following Jesus will make you weird? And that's okay. Being faithful to Jesus, obeying him like he asks us, will make you stick out when you might desperately just want to fit in and look normal. Well, today we get to look at one of the really, really, really big weirdos in the Bible, and that is John. John's weird, and truthfully, my first thought when I met Otis was, he looks like John the Baptist. How, I mean, replace the... The weird tunic and beads with uh, camel hair, and you already got the belt thingy, and, and here's some locusts and honey, and, and here we go. John is, you know, bona fide weirdo in the Bible, and uh, he doesn't even want attention, it seems, because he's always trying to point it to Jesus, but what does he get? He gets a bunch of attention. People are like, oh man, let's check out this weird guy living out in the wilderness in a van down by the river or down by the Jordan River Valley in the wilderness, and they're flocking to him, to this weird guy that's preaching, in a sense, weird things. Why? Well, there's something different about him and about what he's saying. So John, you heard, though, the beginning, he is this longed-for, prayed-for son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, who were old and prayed but never had any children and miraculously God gives them a son in their old age and it's not just any son it's going to be the one the snow plow to, to clear out the way for the Messiah who is coming John the preparer John the the baptizer John the road make straight one and so he is out in the Judean wilderness which is close and far at the same time Jerusalem, he's only is up on a hill. He's only 10 miles away. And then Jericho's only really a few miles away, but it might as well be a world away. In Jerusalem, you leave the city quickly, and you go down, 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 down. In 10 miles, you go down 4,000 feet of rugged, hot, and then desertous terrain, 
And so you're close but far. It is the wilderness, but yet people can get there. So when it says all of Jerusalem went out, you could go on a good day's journey down there to, to check this guy out. And what does he say? What does this weird guy say to everyone that comes? And people just keep coming, and, and they, it says they want to be baptized. They, they're confessing their sins. They're do, what is his message to all these people, including well-known Jerusalem elite the people you would really want to like you, what does John do? Does he say, hey, welcome everybody. Oh, hey, you're the, you're the rich folk from Jerusalem. Uh, I'm taking a special offering today that could really help my ministry. Please. Does he say, you guys are all pretty good. J- just keep being good. Or does he say, uh, as I heard from, yes, a famous World Cup commentator, when asked in another setting about their religious beliefs, they said, well, I'm not religious, I just believe in being a good person. Did John just look at everybody and say, you know, just, you're trying pretty hard, you know, God's pretty easygoing, just try a little harder and you'll be okay. Or does he say, just, you know, look look inside, look inside yourselves, uh, search your feelings, just... Look inside, feel what's right, and follow your heart, and life will work out. Does he say any of those things? No. He says something really weird. What does he say? Repent. That's, that's a weird thing to say. And even today, if a preacher, you know, gets a reputation for being fire and brimstone, that's, that's not a good reputation to, say, to have generally. But what does John say? He doesn't say any of those things. People come out, and people are like wanting to follow him, and he doesn't make it easier. He says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is, is here, it's near, it's at hand, it's coming. Repent. Which is not, you're almost there, try a little harder. But I think we sometimes make the gospel that. Hey, we're pretty good. I'm, do, I'm doing what I can. Uh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good, and we just help me be a little better, and then we'll be cool, God. You'll, life will go better. You'll bless me more. And, and the gospel is the farthest thing from that. It's repent, change, confess. And you can guess to some of those hearers, it was not popular then as it was now. The religious ones that went out, the Sadducees and Pharisees, said they went out to John, and, and what did they hear? He wasn't kind of nice and cuddly to them. He said, what are you guys doing here? Who warned you to, who warned you to, to flee? From? And he said, don't even, he cuts off their argument, don't even try to tell me we're all good with God because Abraham's our father. That's essentially saying, you don't get to say my grandparents were, you know, Christians, and so God and I are good, or, you know, I, I'm doing pretty, I've done a lot already, I've given, I've, no, 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 he says, the, the, the door to the kingdom begins with repentance. And all these people come out, and it says they are baptized, and they confess their sins. So there's a strange thing going on. On the one hand, I think there's a part of all of our hearts that just want to be told, you're okay, you don't have to do Life's fine. You're, you're good enough. Just, just try hard. Be a good person. Life will be fine. There's a part of us that might want to hear that. But then there's that honest part of us that looks in the mirror of our soul and, and just deep down knows we're not. 
And even if we lie to ourselves for so long, we know the darkness that lurks there. We know the ways that we have been selfish and self-centered. And we know the ways that we've hurt others. We know the ways that we have failed. Even our own highest ideals for ourselves. we know the ways we haven't lived up to them. And at some point, pretending and living on pretending just isn't going to work. You see, there's a reason God is sending a Savior into the world is because the world needs saving. If the world was good and fine and well on its own, it wouldn't need saving, now would it? And you're just in luck that our God, the true God, is also weird enough to love broken, needy sinners in a broken, needy world. And so repent, which, by the way, that's how John preaches. And then a few chapters later, when Jesus begins his ministry, he says the exact same. It's almost like Matthew went copy-paste because Jesus, that's, that's the same message. John's preparing the world for the same message. And repenting does not mean hating yourself. Repenting does not mean saying, I am terrible Nobody should love me. Repent is not, not all these uh, terrible self-talk. It's not any of that. Repenting is just simply saying, God, I have nothing to give you. I repent of all of the ways I've turned against you because that's all I have. And I trust completely in Jesus. When we're called to repent, that's actually good news. We're called to say, you know what? God, I can just tell you that I am a poor, miserable sinner, as we say some weeks, and I have nothing to offer, and I I need everything from you. Guess what? Jesus is in the business of giving you everything. That's what it means for him to live and die and rise perfectly for you. It's so that we can't trust in ourselves to get us to God because it can't. To repent means you are absolutely free from the tyranny of thinking you're okay on your own. And repentance absolutely frees you and me to simply trust in the grace of Jesus. It is God who is love, which compels him to make promises to Adam and Eve when the world is broken, to send a Savior, and then keep those promises after generation, as we looked at last week, generation upon generation of broken sinners who sometimes do terrible things, and God says, I made a promise And I love my people, and I will keep it. It is God who is the weird one who says, I love these people, and I made a promise, and I will keep it. And I will send my son, my very self, to save them. And so John, the weird preparer, might sound like fire and brimstone saying, repent, you're you're terrible. Don't hear that at all. Here, God is grace, God is love for you, and repentance absolutely frees you from trying to get there on your own. So I might add one thing to what I said earlier. Instead of just be weird, follow Jesus, John's message is probably be weird, repent, and follow Jesus. So I told you about uh, our friend Otis that we knew 
The remarkable thing is I didn't learn any of those accolades first from him. It was somebody else that we realized we were talking about the same person. What did I know from him was I sat in one pew in worship, and he and his family sat in another. And we both stood, knelt, sang. We both confessed our sins. We both repented. We both came to the Lord's table in need of God's forgiveness and grace. And then I'll never forget, almost every Sunday, after the benediction was said and they would sing something after that, he would turn around and say, charge. And I asked him once and he said, well, we've just been here. Repent, confess, we've received the grace of Jesus and the benediction. He said, that's our marching orders. We've been given the goods and now we're free to go out and give it away. Be weird, repent, and follow Jesus. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you this week or this season of your life. And like him, maybe for some it means a family living well below their means so that they can give generously to others. Or maybe it's a, the teacher or the, or the doctor or the dentist who purposely takes a job in a lower-paying area and a lower-paying place so that they can serve people that otherwise couldn't get care. Or maybe it's the retiree who's not just willing to take all of their, their time now for themselves, but to use it in their later years to, to serve others and see Jesus working through it. I don't know what that looks like for you, but your Savior has come. Be weird, repent, and follow Jesus. Amen.